uh, turning to the next verse, and that's what we're going to look at today, Matthew 15. And I, I hate to disappoint you, but we've been looking at miracles the last few weeks, and today this is not a miracle, this is not a very well-known passage that you're going to look at it and you're going to say, wow, I know that one, I, I've heard that before, I've got it marked in my Bible, there's nothing Josh can say about these miracles. So we've got something new for you today, and it's a very important passage, I think, we see here in, in the first nine verses of Matthew 15, Jesus is taking a stand for the truth. He's going to stand up against these traditional religious leaders who are going to attack him and attack the truth. So he takes a stand. That's what I titled the sermon today, a stand for the truth. And I think that's very good for us in the world we're living in today. You could say that we're living in a world full of lies. Uh, and we need to be a people that take a stand for the truth. That's who we are. That's what we do. We stand for the truth. So I'm going to go ahead and ask you to stand in reading of the Word of God. And we'll read the first nine verses of Matthew 15. And again, the title of the sermon is A Stand for the Truth. And I think every generation has uh, an opportunity, a time, where they have to take a stand. And this is our generation's time, that we take a stand for what's right and what's true. So let's study this passage today, and I think it's very good for us to see a stand for the truth. Matthew chapter 15, verse 1, says, Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your, thy father and mother. And he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift, but whatsoever that thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father and his mother, he shall be free. Thus have you made the commandment of God of none effect by your tradition. And watch this. Jesus tells it how it is here. I don't think Jesus would. I know Jesus wouldn't survive the culture we're living in today. Look what he says. Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. So we're going to look at today a stand for the truth as Jesus stands up against the most powerful men in the world at that time. And that's a stand we're all going to have to take in the coming days. A stand for the truth. So let's pray together and we'll study this passage. Father, we thank you for the teaching of your word and for our reliance on it. We stand upon the rock solid word of God. That is our foundation. That is what we preach. That is what we teach. That is what we aim to live. We are a people of the truth. And God, I pray that in this time, and this may be the first time for this generation, in a world full of lies, that it's our opportunity to stand for the truth. To say what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong. That we stand with God and His Word. So God, help us to see as an example our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, as He stands and has much to lose as He stands against these men. God, that we would be able to stand as we go up against some of the most powerful people in the world. May we stand for the truth. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You could be seated. As biblical Christianity, as authentic Christianity, as genuine Christians, we are known for and have always been known for our stand for the truth. 
We are a people of the truth. We are, are not a people. We're a religion of the truth. We're a people of the truth. Our number one concern is the truth. We are not concerned primarily with what people feel. We are not concerned with fads. We are not concerned with traditions. We're not concerned with what culture says or society says. We're not concerned with what is politically correct or what is popular. We are a people and a religion that stands for the truth of the Word of God. That's who we are. That's what we do. And you say, what does it mean? I know I've got kids in here today. What does it mean? That's a powerful statement. We stand for the Word of God, the truth of God. We are a people of the truth. When all other religions are a religion of lies, their foundation is, is, is shifting sand. We have the rock-solid foundation of the Word of God that we stand on. You say, what does it mean to stand for the truth? It means that we stand for whatever God stands for. God is truth. That's what the Bible says. It says that He is a God of truth, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, that the Holy Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. So whatever God says is true, and we stand with and side with God and the truth. What God says, and I want to give you this, God is the source, determiner, the standard of all truth. So we stand with what God says on every issue. On every issue. What God says, we say. Where God stands, we stand. What God says about Himself, we believe. What God says about salvation, we believe. That's the truth. That, that, there's no other way around it. What God says, and I want to go on in this. What God says about history, that's the truth. We believe that. What God says about creation. We don't care what the scientists say. We don't care what's popular. We don't care what the commentators say. We stand with what God says. We are a people of the truth. I'll, I'll go on. What God says about the family, we believe. The world can say what it wants to say about the family. We can, we can let times change and culture change and societies change and fads change. But what God says about the family is true. And we stand with the truth. I can go on. What God says about marriage is true. And we stand with what God says to be true. The truth will stand when the world's on fire. And we stand with the truth. I'll give you another. What God says about sexuality is the truth. And we stand with God on every issue. We are a people, a religion of the truth. We are not going to bow down, again, with what society says. We will not bow down with what the culture says. We won't bow down to what's popular. We won't bow down to tradition. We won't bow down to religion. We are a people of the truth. We side with what God says on every single issue. That's who we are. It's one thing to believe it. It's one thing to say it. But we must take a stand for it. In a world that opposes the truth, we stand for the truth. In a world where the prince of the power of the air is a liar, and the truth ain't in him, he's a liar from the beginning, from Genesis chapter 3, when he, when he slithers his way up and speaks a lie, that's all that he does. The world is, is under the power of Satan, a liar. We in the church are under the power of God, the truth. We're a people of truth. The church is called the pillar and ground of Truth. When people come here, you know what they expect to get? The truth. We tell them what God says about things. We are the true, authentic Christianity that stands up for and stands out with the truth. You want to be a light in the world? Stand for the truth. Let God be true and every man a liar. We stand with God. And that's what Jesus is doing here. He's taking a stand for the truth. 
That's a pretty good introduction. I'm trying to get you guys ready to stand up for the truth. We don't stand up for ourselves. We don't stand up for political parties. We take a stand for the truth. That's what Jesus is doing here in, in Matthew chapter 15. The opposition that he's facing, because you're always going to have opposition to the truth. The opposition he's facing is not what we'd expect. It's not the atheists. It's not the pagans. It's not the godless. It's not those coming at him with a pitchfork. The ones that are, that are opposing Jesus and the truth in Matthew 15 is surprising in that they're not carrying a, a pitchfork. They're carrying a Bible. They're religious. Deeply religious. They're pretending to be something they're not. And this is who Jesus is facing here. Sometimes the most dangerous opposition you'll face to the truth is the most religious people. The most hard-hearted, the most stony-grounded people that you will find are found in churches. The deeply religious. So what we have here is Jesus in, in a conflict with the most dominant religion of his day. Jesus is standing for the truth, and they're standing for tradition. And they're going to go head-to-head. This is a heavyweight battle of Jesus versus the Pharisees. Truth versus tradition. Jesus versus the the deeply religious. And and there's a lot on the line here. So which side will you fall on? Will you be on the side of, of truth, or will you be on the side of tradition? And Jesus is going to lay this battle out for us here today and force us all to take a side. We've been able in our culture, in our time, in America, to kind of straddle the fence on this issue. We're kind of for the truth and we're you know, kind of not going to have to speak out about it and stand up for it. We're just, we're just kind of in the middle. But in our culture right now, the, in the world we're living in, you're going to have to pick a side. Are you on the side of truth or are you on the side of lies? Jesus stands with the truth and we must stand where he stands. So let's look at this passage today. This is much needed. And I want to break it down to you in three points, as as I usually do. I want to show you, number one, as we look at a stand for the truth, I want to show you, number one, the truth is attacked. The truth is attacked. You see that in verses one through two. As this opposition, these enemies, these arch enemies come up to Jesus. And who are they? Verse 1, then came to Jesus, and here's your enemy. Here's your opposition. Who, here's who Jesus is facing. You go, and it says there, they came to Jesus. Here's Jesus on one side, and here comes the scribes and the Pharisees on the other. Heavyweight bout is about to take place. Truth versus tradition. Truth versus lies. And they're going to come at each other and go head to head in this battle. And you have Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees. And we have to know who they are. Who are the scribes and the Pharisees? I've done a coloring page for our kids. I don't know if they're on, on the back of their little bulletin that I make them every week. I, I do a coloring page uh, of, our, uh, of our sermon, of the passage. And the picture that I have is of Jesus, and on each side of him are two Pharisees. Jesus is kind of, he's, he's straight-faced and calm, but on the sides of him are two angry, mad-faced Pharisees going up against Jesus. You say, okay, who are these people? Because I think we'll face similar people. It says, then came Jesus, to Jesus, scribes and Pharisees. Let me describe them to you. The Pharisees and the scribes are very religious. Deeply religious. They looked the part. When they walked into a temple, you looked at them and you said, wow. Those people are religious. Those people are close to God. 
Those people are where they should be. They acted the part. They followed the law meticulously to the point where they added to the law all these rules that they had that everybody had to follow. I mean, they had 600 plus rules that you had to follow. They had they had volumes and volumes of books and mass of tradition that they had laid out there that they not only followed God's law, they followed man's tradition with God's law. I mean, they were so strict on these things. I mean, they, 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 they dotted every I and they crossed every T and they walked a, a very strict line. They had taken the, the narrow way, which is very narrow, and narrowed it to the point where nobody could keep it. And that's where they are. They're very religious and they're very traditional. They took God's law and went above and beyond it to the point where nobody could follow it. They had a rule, get this, for every area of life. Volumes of books. You had God's law sitting over here and books upon books upon books upon books for all of man's rules. It took scribes to be able to discern what all those rules meant. It's almost like trying to follow the CDC guidelines to come to church. I can't keep up with all the rules and the regulations. It's something new every week. It's like they, they keep putting this out. It's phase one. It's phase two. It's phase three. I don't know where we are. Just trying to follow the rules. Who knows? That's what they're doing here. They're trying to keep up. There's countless rules and endless regulations. So they are very religious. They are very traditional. And I'll give you another very. They're very strict. They are not a bunch of open-armed people saying, Come unto me, all you who are laboring heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. They are closed-armed, closed doors, nobody allowed unless you follow our rules. I've seen churches like that. Not the church of the open door, the church of the crossed arms. Nobody comes in here unless they follow our rules and follow our regulations and follow our traditions. If you don't do what we say, you don't belong here. Very strict. And, and they were to the point where no Gentiles were allowed, no, no sinners were allowed, no tax collectors were allowed. I'll say this, there's Jews that they didn't even allow. They made living for God harder than what it should be. They made it impossible to live for God. You ever been in a place like that? I can't keep up with what they need me to do. Sounds like a fun bunch to me, don't it? A bunch of mean-spirited, judgmental Pharisees is what they were. That's the, that's the enemies coming in there. Religious, deeply religious, very strict, very traditional, and they come to Jesus, watch this, and I've got to get through this, but they came to Jesus, these scribes and Pharisees, I want you to imagine in your mind someone very, very angry, just mad all the time, going out looking for somebody breaking one of their rules. Religious police officers. They might as well be walking around with a whistle in their mouth, going through the church pews and saying, you did that wrong, you did that wrong, you did that wrong. Finding fault with everybody and everything where they go. You, go, you got to know that, that that is happening. And, and I'm getting a phone call. <laughs> That'll interrupt the, the Facebook Live. I wonder who wants me in the middle of church. <laughs> Let's call the preacher, 1130. <laughs> I don't know where I was at now. Somebody religious getting ready to jump on me is what it was. He's talking about me. I'm going to call him. <laughs> He's breaking one of my rules. Told you. <laughs> Mean-spirited, judgmental people. 
Have you ever come across that type of person in church? Religious. Always out to get people. You can find sometimes more compassion and more sympathy out in the world than you can in the church. You can find more people out there with open arms ready to accept you than you can in church when you walk in people looking like this. That's who they are. They're not people of the truth. They're people of tradition. And they come 60 miles. Look what it says. Let's get back into the text. Then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, they came to Jesus from Jerusalem, which is a 60-mile ride or a 60-mile walk, and, and they're on a mission to see Jesus. They're, they're not going to Jesus to sit under his teaching and to sit there and say, hey, I, I, I'm coming to, uh, to, to learn from you. I'm coming to sit under your teaching and, and to, to learn what you have to say. They're coming to critique Jesus. I mean, this is, this is, so, this is so common in our, in our world. They're coming not to listen and to learn. They're coming to critique. They're coming to dig up dirt. They're coming to find fault. They're coming to nitpick at Jesus and his disciples. They came 60 miles just to find something wrong with Jesus. There are people that come to church just to find something wrong with people. There will be people coming to church just to find something wrong with the church and to find something wrong with the preacher. They're not people of truth. They're people of tradition. And those traditions are going to fight angrily at truth. So they follow Jesus and they follow his disciples looking for anything, any opportunity to say, gotcha. I mean, they look like spies. Mission Impossible type stuff where they're just, just lurking on every corner trying to find Jesus and his disciples doing something they, that they shouldn't be doing. Or not following one of their rules. And look what they do. They find something. In verse 2, look what they find. Disciples transgressed the tradition of the elders. You're just... Why do your disciples transgress the truth? The word of God? They're not violating God's standard. They're not violating God's law. They're violating man's tradition. The rules that have been passed down from generation to generation. And I've heard this uh, uh, so many times in my, in my time as, as a preacher. Johnny probably has too. Where I've had men call me into, into my own office. And sit down and say, you have broken and you're sitting there thinking, which, which one of God's laws have I broken? And they look across from you, and they say, you've broken our rules. You've broken what we think you ought to be doing. You're not doing as we think you ought to be doing. And that's what they're saying here. They, they, they found something that the disciples haven't done that they think they ought to be doing. And what is that? I mean, they, they go to Jesus to tattletale. Here's what we've seen your followers not do. And look at this. Some of y'all are going to, you're going to condemn the, the, the disciples too. For they don't wash their hands when they eat bread. That's what they found them doing, or not doing. This isn't a bunch of germaphobes. This isn't about hygiene. They had a rule that if you went out to the market, if you went out to town, and you were around a bunch of people, and you, you guys probably think this is a good thing, that when you come back, you had to wash yourself thoroughly when you got back. 
Again, this isn't about the disease. This isn't, the coronavirus wasn't going around then. This isn't about having hand sanitizer and washing yourself up when you come back from the store. No, when you went out and you got around some Gentiles, they were, uh, they, they were uh, unclean and they were dirty and they were sinful. And if you rubbed shoulders with them, if you rubbed elbows with them, if you got around a Gentile, if you got around a sinner, that sin and that, that uncleanness would rub off on you. So when you got back to your house, you better get out your pot. And they, they, they had a, it's almost like you're a surgeon. You had to wash every bit of your hands you'd pour it this way down your arm and then you had to pour it down your arm this way and you had to completely cleanse yourself from the filth of the world that's what their law is here and that's what he says the disciples haven't been washing themselves they had to be looking through windows at these guys as they come back from town and they go into their house and they go and grab their bread instead of going to their pots and washing their hands meticulously he said jesus your guys ain't washing their hands like we think they should They were ceremonially un- unclean, contaminated. The disciples had stepped outside their lines and their standards. They'd broken not God's rules, but their rules. So they accused him with a smug look on their face and hatred in their voice. They say, your disciples have broken our standard. Your disciples have broken our rules. And this is when tradition attacks truth. It's the most ugly, most deadly, and most common attack you'll find to the truth. Human nature doesn't change. I've already mentioned it, but churches still have rules, traditions, and standards that go above and beyond what God's Word says. I could write a book on the things that have been said in our church. Things that have been said to me, things that have been said about my kids. You grew up in this. Where they put rules on you that you couldn't possibly follow. They come to you and they'll say, you didn't do this. I didn't know I had to do that. You did this. I didn't know I couldn't do that. I've had those people, same people, just just like this, with a mean look on their face, so smug and so hateful, and and we got you, and and you're in trouble now, mister. I'm like, what did I do? I had somebody look at me one time and say, I got you, preacher. Okay, what, what did I do? What did I do? I saw you at the movies. And I wasn't as holy as Jesus. I said, how did you see me there? We can go, quote, we can go to the movies. Preachers can't. Where's your rule book? I need to see it. I need to know where, what line I need to walk. I mean, that's a true story. What were you seeing? I'm sorry. I saw Frozen. (laughs) You need to let it go. <laughs> and some of you may be sitting in the pews right now saying, oh, Josh went to the movies. Oh, he took his kids to see Frozen. Where's your rule book? Where's your regulations? Will you take it above and beyond what God's word says? I wasn't nice enough to say, we're what Jesus will say here when he comes back. Me and my flesh, I wanted to say, where did you find that in here? First and second opinions? But that's the attack on truth. And it can be. It'll cause church splits. It'll cause people to leave church and never come back. 
Because they come into a church and they say, I can't follow all their rules. They won't even tell me where they are. They're not even written. They're up here in somebody's mind somewhere. How can I follow somebody's rules that aren't even written down yet? And then they'll come in and they'll change it. Oh, I'll add this just so it will get you in trouble. It's run off preachers. It's run off young people. Young people come into churches and they can't do what the church wants them to do. They make salvation so narrow that nobody can do it. They make living for God so narrow that nobody can do it. They make their, their, their little bitty church where they have their little holy huddle where they follow their own rules. And we don't follow tradition, we follow truth. And that's what Jesus is going to say here. You can have your traditions and you can have your, your convictions. But when your tradition mixes with the truth and you can't tell the difference between the truth and the tradition, you've got a problem. Or when your tradition goes above the truth, you've got a real problem. When you become a church that all you do is finger point, judge, and condemn, you've got a problem. And that's what this religion had become. They were no longer a people of the truth. They were a people of tradition. Let's move to point number two. That was the truth attacked. I want to show you the truth defended. The truth defended. Because Jesus comes back. and says, Jesus is not one you want to argue with. It says, but he answered and said unto them. And like I said, if they had said something that silly to me, your disciples don't wash their hands after they go to town. I wouldn't have come back nearly as nice as Jesus did. So Jesus, what does he say? He doesn't give excuses. He doesn't give an explanation. He doesn't apologize. That's what everybody in our culture does now. When somebody points something out, whether you did it or not, you have to apologize. Jesus wasn't politically correct here he, either. What did Jesus do? He admits that his disciples had broken their laws. You see that in verse 3. He answered and said to them, Why do you also? Yeah, my disciples aren't walking your line. My disciples aren't following your standards. Uh, my disciples aren't jump, jumping through your hoops is what he's saying here. But he doesn't deny it, but watch what he does. He doesn't say, well, they didn't do that or they'll do better later on. He says, yeah, they're not following your laws, but look what you're doing. You're one to talk. They're not following man's traditions. You're not following God's truth. Look at that. Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God? Do you see that? They said you're transgressing, transgressing the tradition of elders. And Jesus said they're transgressing the commandment of God. There's a big difference there. The disciples break tradition, man-made. The Pharisees are breaking the truth, God-made. And we have to be able to discern the difference between those two things. What is tradition, man-made? And what is truth, God-made? And it's our obligation not to follow man's tradition, but to follow God's truth. That's our standard. That's the line that we walk. And, that, and that's what Jesus is doing here. We don't have to live up to man's standards or man's rules. If you break man's traditions, it's no big deal. If you break God's law, it's called sin. So we've got to get this figured out. What is man's tradition and what is God's truth? That's what matters. When somebody comes and tells you you have to do something or follow something or you can't do this and you can't do that, you need to, to come back with them is, where does it say that? Not in man's tradition, but in God's truth. Where does God say that? I, I don't need to hear what man says. I want to know what God says about that. So when they come to church and they say, church has to be this, 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 and this, where does it say it in this? Your traditions are fine. As long as they don't become mixed with the truth. 
Well, you can't tell the difference between what man said and what God said. So Jesus accuses them. Watch what he accuses them of. I think you guys will enjoy this. The kids especially. My kids better listen up. If you have ears to hear, let them hear. Verse 4. For God commanded. Who commanded? God did. God said. See that? He's, he's, he's going against those two. What man said and what God said. Man said you have to wash your hands after you go out to, out to town. God said... Honor your father and mother. That's the fifth commandment. That's Exodus 20, 12. To honor your father and mother. To respect them. That word honor. And I want my kids to get this. I want the other kids to get this. To honor means you respect them. We have a culture today that's not respecting their elders. You respect them. You love them. You reverence them. And here's what he's getting at here. To honor them means you take care of them when they can't take care of themselves. They took care of you when you couldn't take care of yourselves and you better take care of them when they can't take care of themselves anymore. That's what it means to honor your mother and father. And you say, where's that at? Exodus 21, 17. And he says, if you don't do that, if you don't do that, the command says, this is so good. When I get old and I can't take care of myself, Isaiah, Christian, Emma, Gracie, you have to take care of me. When I can't feed myself, you better feed me. When I don't have money to buy groceries, you better buy my groceries. That's what it means to honor your mother and father. Right now, you respect me. You honor me. You love me. You reverence me. You do what I say. But when I get old and can't take care of myself, my kids better take care of me. And here's what happens if you don't. You guys may have never heard this before. Exodus 21, 17. If you don't, you die. Capital punishment, public execution, stoning. <laughs> you ain't never heard that one before, have you? God's word says that. If you don't, God takes the command of honoring your mother and father very seriously. He takes the family very seriously. So that's biblical. He says that. Let me, let me read it to you. I don't want you to think I'm making this up. For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. So that's the command. That's straight up. There's no denying that. God said. But watch what happens here. But you say. You see that? He goes back to it again. God said in verse 4, but you say in verse 5. And they have come up with a commandment to get around that. I know this is a lot of teaching here. and There's no miracle, but you'll get it. But you say. <laughs> watch. Whosoever shall say to his father and mother, it's a gift. By whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, and honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. You say, what does that mean? They had made a rule, a regulation, that if you didn't want to honor your mother and father and take care of them as they got old, all you had to do was make a vow to God and say, everything that I own is God's. So now when your mom and dad ask for help, you look and say, it's not mine. It's God's. Can't help you. They had found a way to twist the scriptures and to add a rule and regulation so that they didn't have to help their parents anymore. 
It belongs to God. I'm sorry, Mom. I know you need something. You need, you need, you need some help. You need help around the house. But I can't do it. I vowed it. And it made them look so super spiritual. It, it, well, I vowed a vow to God. And it all belongs to Him. And if I vow a vow to God, and it all belongs to Him, and it's not mine, then I can't give it to you. So I'm free of that obligation. And I'm free of that responsibility. I don't have to, to give it to you now because I've given it all to God. Ain't I so great? That's what they're doing. They walked around, oh, wow. They, they're giving it to God and not to their parents. They're off the hook. They're free. It says that. He shall be free. Now, did God's word say they could do that? No, their rules said they could do that. They had found a way not to help their parents and to look super spiritual at the same time. You say, what has that got to do with us here? We are notorious for doing things like this. We are notorious in the church for taking a command of God and twisting it so we don't have to follow it. We find ways to get out of doing what God says, to live however we want to live, to excuse it, to justify it, to twist it so we can live however we want and not have to do what God's word says. You say, Josh, give me an example of this. I've heard people say, I don't have to forgive them. God's word says I have to forgive them. Forgive your enemies. Love them, right? That's what the God, God's Word says. That We know that. Love those who hate you. That's what we're supposed to do. We aren't just to love those who love us. We're to love those who hate us. And we're to forgive them. How much do we forgive them? Seventy times seven. Just on and on and on and on. Forgive them. Forgive them. Forgive them. But I have heard people in the church say, yes, God's Word says forgive, but I don't have to unless they ask. But I don't have to unless when, when they hear I don't have to unless when they ask that they actually mean it. I don't have to unless they ask and they, and they don't mean it. And if they don't change their ways and repent of what they did to me and pay me back for what they did to me. And I'm sitting there saying, is that God's law or your law? You just don't want to forgive and you're twisting scripture and making your own rules in order for you to live however you want to live. How about this one? I ain't got time to go into it. I wrote down a bunch. I, I, just, I, I just sit in my office and think, this is, this, is, this is us. I don't have to go to church. I am the church. Good one. I hear that all the time. I invite people to church. I, we don't have to assemble to be the assembly. <laughs> this doesn't make sense. So God's word tells us that we are to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together and even more so as the day approaches. But we don't have to be the church because we are the church. Yes, we are the church and, and we need to be in church. And they're just twisting and justifying and excusing because they don't want to be in the church. Because we don't want to do it. Who's become God? Whose rules are you following? You're following your own set of rules and not God's word. You're not a people of the truth anymore. You're a people of yourself. I've got more. You want one more? I'll give you five more. I've heard people talk, I don't have to give. I'm not obligated to give. I'm not obligated to tithe. God's word says this, but if I don't agree with the pastor on 100% of everything, then I don't have to give to the church. Whose rules are those? Whose rules? And we do that. I'm not going to give you any more. I want to move on. Because Jesus is going to tell them who they are here when they do that. The churches are 
are notorious for this. I'll give you another one. I, I just thought of another one. The Bible says in Romans 13 to obey those who God puts over you at, in the government. The Bible says that. But when a pandemic hits, we don't have to anymore. Whose rules are those? I've heard people say that. Well, the, the Bible says I need to obey. But the see, when, anytime you have the Bible says, but, <laughs> you're in trouble. The Bible says that we need to obey those in authority who God has put over us because they are servants of God. That's who they are. Unless they're asking us to, to specifically break a command of God, we are to obey. But the Constitution says I have freedom to do whatever I want. Have you, are you a people of the truth or are you a people of the Constitution? Oh, let's see. We do it all the time. Josh does it. We do it. But we are a people of the truth. And Jesus here says, watch this, it's a big problem. Why? Because look what it does. And I've already given you kind of a heads up on that. He says at the end of verse 6, here's what the problem is. You've made the commandment of God none effect by your tradition. Here's what you've done. You've taken tradition, and that's what they did. They were following their tradition and their rules instead of following God's law. So what they've done is, and that's how it always must be, that God's word is always above man's tradition. But they had taken man's tradition, man's rules, man's regulations, man's thoughts, man's opinions, man's want-tos, man's feelings, and they placed it above God's word and made God's word none effect. They're following what they want to instead of what God says to. Tradition is now superior to truth. And this is everywhere. I've got examples of this. This happens in cults. Jehovah's Witnesses take their God's word and place their watchtower above God's word. And they follow what they want to follow instead of what God says to follow. Mormons take God's word and they place three books ahead of God's word. They have the Book of Mormon. And I wrote a quote down here. This is the first time, Johnny, I've ever quoted Joseph Smith in the pulpit. Probably the last. But here's what he says about the Book of Mormon. Here's what the Mormons follow. Joseph Smith says this, The most correct book on the earth and the keystone to our religion is the Book of Mormon. They take the Book of Mormon and they put it above God's Word. So they follow the words of Joseph Smith before they follow the words of God. You say, well, that's, that's, that's true of cults. It's true of Catholics. These are all C words here, too. You've got the cults. You've got the Catholics. You know what they have? They have their traditions and their teachings. And they take the traditions and the teachings, and here's God's word, and they place, God's, they place their traditions and their teachings, and even the teachings of the Pope. The Pope's words are more valuable than God's words. That's what they do. They, they take and all our traditions and all of our thoughts and all of our opinions and all of our uh, uh, feelings ought to be down here below God's word. This is our standard. This is God's truth. But they take it and bring it down and place the Pope up here. Place their traditions up here. They place all their teachings up here. And when they are at odds with one another, which one do they side with? Their traditions and teachings. You want another one? Yeah, you do. It happens in cults. It happens with the Catholics. It happens in our culture. When times change... When the fads change, we take God's word and say, well, we got a new truth. God's word says this about sexuality, but times have changed. 
Our laws have changed. The government has changed. People have changed. We are progressing. When the Bible says we are not progressing, we are regressing. We're not getting better. We're getting worse. We're falling deeper into a depravity and sin. We don't follow the fads. We don't follow the trends. We follow God's Word. Our new ideas. Our new thoughts. We're coming today where Marxist ideas are ahead of God's Word. Man's thoughts. Man's opinions. Man's fads. Man's beliefs. Man's ways. And in our culture today, man's feelings. I don't feel like that's right. I come across a, an Episcopal priest the other day. And he was trying to tell me that all roads lead to God. There's a Muslim way that leads that way. It'll get him to God. Hindu, it'll, it'll lead you to God. That's what you call a universalist. Everybody's on their way to heaven. And I said this to him. Get this. I'm not as nice as, as Jesus tends to be. I said, but Jesus said, you get that? I think that all roads lead to God. Everybody's going to heaven, no matter who they are. But even they have a standard. Hitler's not going to heaven. I said, but Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man gets to God but through me. And this is what he said back to me. I don't feel like that's something Jesus would really say. I don't care what you feel like. I care what God's word says. We are a people of the truth. Not a people of what I feel or what my opinion is. Opinions are going to change like the wind. We are a people who stand on the rock solid word of God. I've got another one for you. You want another one? Yeah. As long as I don't get a phone call, we're good to go. It happens in cults. It happens with the Catholics. It's happening in our culture. And it happens in our churches. Where you take God's word and you put your traditions above it. This is how we've always done it. I don't care how you've always done it. What does the word of God say about it? God's word is our standard. You have your traditions above God's word. You have your convictions. This is what I think. <laughs> this is what I believe. Uh, I don't care what you've always been taught. This is what God's word says. Our opinions, our history above God's word. So let me make a statement here and I'll move on. The Bible is our ultimate and final authority on all issues to life and godliness. It's authoritative, it's absolute. It comes from God, and everything else must bow the knee to God's word. I want to say this. The Watchtower and the Book of Mormon must bow the knee. And I'm not even going to say bow the knee. It must go into the trash heap of history. But it must bow the knee to the word of God. The Catholic traditions and the teachings and the Pope himself must bow the knee to the authority of God's word. The culture and its feelings and its opinions and its fads and its ideas must bow the knee to the word of God. The church and its traditions. And this is where it dies hard, if it dies at all. You go into a traditional church that is stuck in their ways as a pastor, as a teacher, and they'll, they'll chew you up and spit you out. Because... Tradition dies hard. But tradition in the churches 
Opinions in the churches, beliefs in the churches, even your convictions in the church must bow the knee to the word of God. We are a people of the truth. We are a religion of the truth. We want to know what God says. We don't need to know what man says. There's a battle brewing in our nation. There's a storm coming. And we must now, today, take a stand like Jesus took on the rock-solid Word of God as our foundation. So Jesus moves on. And He says, you, watch this. I think this is good. I've got a few more minutes left. The, their actions in placing their tradition above God's truth shows exactly where their heart is. And when we do that, say you're the Catholics and you take your teachings and your traditions and you put them above God's word, you're showing where your heart is. As Mormons or Jehovah's Witnesses, you're showing where your heart is. As the old song says, your cheating heart will tell on you. I don't know who sang that, but it's true. <laughs> Sophia liked that one. Tommy will tell me who, who sang that. Hank, okay, there you go. I just quoted Hank Williams. <laughs> Joseph Smith and Hank Williams, you guys are about to run me out. But your cults who place... Their books ahead of God's word are showing where their heart is. These Jews are taking their traditions and putting them above the truth of God's word. They're showing where their heart is. The, the churches in their traditional religious ways, if they take their traditions and they take their thoughts and their opinions and their feelings and they put them above God's word, you're showing where your heart is. In our culture today, with all their, their feelings and their opinions and their fads and their ideas, these new things that they're coming up with, when they place them above the Word of God, they're showing where their heart is. And you say, what does their heart look like? And that's what Jesus does here. He, it, this is the truth exposed as He opens up their heart and says, here's who you really are. If you're going to do this, if you're going to be a people of tradition and not a people of the truth, here's who you are. Who are they? Look, look what he says. And, and I love this. He, he, he blisters them. I mean, Jesus just, just rattles them here. You hypocrites. Do you see that there? You hypocrites. He says it seven times in Matthew 23. He's dragging these hypocrites out of their lurking places. And he's saying, you think you're something great? You're not. You're a bunch of phonies is who you are. You bunch of play actors, and that's what a hypocrite is. We hear that all the time, but it means somebody who plays a role in a play. And back then, they didn't have costumes. You know what they would do when they had their little plays? They had little masks on a stick. And if you, if you were sad, you'd put that sad face over your face. You're playing a role. And if you got angry, it was angry. Sad. Happy. You know, that's just how they had these masks. And they were called hypocrites. I, I shouldn't have done that. Hypocrites, because they played a part. They were fake. They were phony. You're not really happy. You're putting on a mask. You're not really sad. You're putting on a mask. You're not really angry. You're putting on a mask. You're not really religious. You're putting on a mask. You hypocrites, you walked into the temple and you looked so good and you looked so religious and you acted all holy and you talked a big game. You hear that about the church all the time, bunch of hypocrites. They walk into church and they look the part and they say the right words 
and then they walk out and they take that mask off and they live however they want to live and follow whatever rules they want to, they want to follow. That's what he's saying here. You guys are nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. Look, look as he goes down there, just like Isaiah said. When Isaiah said this, he was talking about you. You people draw nine to me with your mouth and you honor me with your lips. You see that? You walk into your temple and you look so holy and you act so holy and you talk so holy. You stand up in front of everybody and you say the right words and you pray the right prayers. You're putting on a a big show. You have all the rituals down. You have all the routine down. You have all the rules that you follow. You have all the prayers that you say. You're going to, with your mouth, you say you're right. But what does your heart say? This is speaking of these religious, deeply religious people. Do you understand that there's a lot of people meeting in churches today just like ours in, in the, the mountains where we are deeply religious? And we come walking into church and a lot of people look the right way and they say the right words and they, they're putting on that mask every Sunday. Every Sunday. And Jesus says, walking through the religious motions, but deep down, where's their heart? It's not about what you say. It's not about what your mouth says. It's not even about the mask that you wear. You're in, in literal masks that we wear now. It's not about that. Because you can come walking into church here today, look the part, act the part, sing the part, give the part, fellowship the part, do everything that you've always done for years and years and years and years and years. And people will think you're so holy and you're so good and you're so close to God. But look what he says. The people draws nigh to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. I would hate for that to be the case in, in a church. But you come in here and you sing like the Mormon Tabernacle Choir sings the Hallelujah Chorus. And it is one of the most beautiful things you will ever hear on the face of the earth. Google it. Look it up on YouTube. The Mormon Tabernacle Choir singing the Hallelujah Chorus. And it will bring you to tears. But they are singing about a Savior that they don't know. You walk into churches today and people are singing victory in Jesus and they don't have, they sing it with their lips, but they don't have any idea what it means to have victory in Jesus. None whatsoever. They can sing nothing but the blood of Jesus as loud as they can, but they have no idea what it means to plead the blood of Jesus over their sins. They can give all kinds of money. And people do. Religious people give probably more than than normal people. And you can give and you can give and you can give. But your heart can be so far from God. There could be an infinite chasm between you and God. But everybody looks at you and says, that has to be a holy person. They follow the rules. They come to church. They do everything down to a T. But your heart can be so far from God. You could be sitting in these pews here today following all your rules and your regulations and everything that you think is right. Looking close to God here today. People drive by and you know what they think about us? Oh, those people look close to God. You can get up and preach a sermon. Say you're a pastor. Preacher. Oh, holy man of God standing up there. Right? Right? And your heart can be so far from God. 
You know nothing about the Savior you even preach. You're a hypocrite putting on a show up in front of a bunch of people. God, may it never be me standing up here putting on a show to make you guys pat me on the back. You hypocrite, phony, fake people is what he's saying. told you he hammers them. They are religious, but they are lost. <laughs> they, are, they follow the rules, but they're not saved. They have to have those rules because that's the only way they can control their sinful nature. They've seen chapter 14 where Jesus fed the 5,000, where he walked on water, where you have verses... 34 through 36, where he healed people, just the, the diseased as they came to him. But the, the heart problem is they have completely and utterly rejected Jesus. And that shows that their heart is far from him. And their worship is in vain. He says there, there at the last verse, in vain they worship me, for they teach the doctrines, for doctrines the commandments of men. You get that? Their worship is in vain. You know what it means to be in vain? Empty. It means that they come to church and it's, it's not pleasant or acceptable to God and it's not profitable to them. It's a waste of their time. It's dead, formal, and empty. They've rejected Jesus Christ. And by rejecting Jesus, instead of bowing the knee to Jesus and seeing all these miracles... They come and call out his disciples for not washing their hands. I've done that here, and I'm closing. I've got five minutes left. I've seen it firsthand, where you can get up in a church and you can preach Christ and him crucified with every ounce of energy that you have. And you can preach as close to the Bible as you possibly can, word by word, verse by verse, never missing a, a thing. And then you get called in your own office. And it's not bowing the knee to follow Jesus and his word. But you've done some kind of rule wrong. And I usually don't say it. I try, to, I, I try to hold myself back. But that's the hardest heart you'll ever find. Sitting in a pew. And the gospel going out. And people being saved and lives being changed. And you've got some people in the church that don't like it. Because... Their authority is being questioned. So they'll come and say, you've broken one of our rules. It's the hardest heart you'll ever find. They say it's a tough nut to crack. That's an impossible nut to crack. And churches across America are filled with religious nuts. That their only hope is the gospel cracks open their heart. And this is found in the most religious places on earth. Now the question we need to ask as I close is, could that be the case today for you? Could that be here in this church? Could that be your heart? That you showed up here today and you sang and you gave and you would say you're close to God, but in reality you are far from God. Could that be the case in here today? It's possibly the case for someone in here that you just showed up and you're going through the motions 
and you look the part, and you act the part, and you say the part, and you do the part, but in reality, your heart is so far from God that you are separated from Him. You say, how do I know? That, that's the question. I sat down last night about 2 o'clock. I said, how can we know if our heart is far from God? How can we know if we're just stuck in the rules and the rituals and the routine of a religious show? How can we know? And here's, how, here's, how, here's one way to find out. And I want you to listen to me just as I close this out. Here's one way you can find this out. One day when you stand before God in judgment, and we all will. One day every single one of us will. That's across the room. You'll stand alone before God. And you'll have the opportunity to plead your case. Here's how you'll know where you are. What do you plead before God in judgment? If you are a religious but lost person, you will stand before God and you will say, I did my best. You will say, I followed the rules. You will say, I was pretty good. You will say, I was decent. You will say, I followed the traditions of the church. You will say, I sang the songs. You will say, I gave some money. I had a pickle jar in the back, and I dropped my money in there every single week. I went to worship. Did you not see me worship every single Sunday? I was there. I wore a tie. I did it all. Did you not see what I did in the church, and what I built in the church, and how I served in the church? Did you not see what I did while I lived? If you are a religious but lost person, you will plead your goodness and your good works. You will stand before God on your own merits. And if that's the case, you will stand hopeless and doomed. If that's your answer before God, look what I did. Look at the rules I followed. Look how good I am. You are doomed. But if you stand before God, just as I am without one plea. But that his blood was shed for me. Then you're saved. Because that's what salvation means. Nothing to plead but the life and the death of Jesus Christ. Nothing to plead but mercy. I deserve nothing. I am nothing. And as Charles Spurgeon said, I am banking my eternity on a life I did not live and a death that I did not die. I'm banking it all on the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be saved. Not your goodness, not your good works, not who you are, and not what you do. If you stand before God one day and you plead nothing but the cross, that's what it means to be saved. You cannot plead your rules and your regulations and your religion. Only then can you say that you're truly saved and going to heaven because you're banking on nothing but Jesus. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. So I call you this day, if there's any question in your mind, that you are a religious person but lost. To bank your eternity solely upon what Jesus did for you and not what you've done for Him. On who He is, not who you are. On His works, not your works. Believe in Him, trust in Him, and He will save you. And for Christians in here today, I urge you, I beg you, I plead with you. Let's be a people that stand for the truth in a world that's living full of lies. And that's the truth. 
and nothing but the truth. So help me, God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. This is a difficult passage to preach today, but I pray that it accomplished that which you set it out to do. I pray if there's anybody in here who is stuck in a religious relationship, where they're just following rules and regulations and trying to do their best to climb the ladder to get to you, that they would see today there's no climbing that ladder. There's no way they can get there. And they would put their full faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. And I pray for us as Christians, God, it's getting harder and harder to stand for the truth today because opposition is, is so dead set against the truth. And I pray, God, that you would help us to stand. As Martin Luther said as he stood before the trial at Wittenberg, here I stand, God help me. May we do the same. God help us. We ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.